And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Luke chapter 12, verse 19. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Um, I'm aware that many of you saw the news this morning that there have been shootings uh, in Dayton and in El Paso, and your hearts are no doubt heavy with that fact. And we'll be praying for the residents of those towns and our prayers for the people as we also remember them, um, the families, and plead before God for mercy and for healing and for the calming of fear too. So I just want to acknowledge that I know that happened and we will be praying for them later too. Um, I don't believe preaching should be reactionary to the, to the moment of the times. And so it's my custom to continue to preach whatever the Lord has given me to preach, even when news cycles uh, flash across. So um, what I want to get to a, a very particular point in my sermon today, but I, I think I need to go a roundabout way. Um, so let me say this. Uh, we are pretty confused creatures. I mean, that's true generally of the human race. I think it's especially true in 21st century America. We're pretty confused. And one of the tokens, I think, of our confusion is we've begun to define the essential goods of life according to their opposites. So I know this is kind of abstract. I promise it'll get more concrete. But I was really struck one time when I was reading the um, farmer-philosopher, it's an interesting pairing, um, the farmer philosopher Wendell Berry, when he wrote about this, for instance, about marriage, he said, marriage has now, these days, taken the form of divorce, a prolonged and impassioned negotiation as to how things shall be divided. I thought that was pretty haunting, right? That whereas mar marriage is God intended it is why we're working together in unity, we've actually begun to pattern, in many cases, our domestic lives along the paradigm of divorce, right, of division. We've defined the essentials of life by their opposites. I think we've done the same with work and leisure. We've really come to define work according to leisure, that without even thinking about it, I think if you're like me and most all Americans, the, the sort of, the air we breathe is this idea that you work to make money to enjoy yourself and to secure the enjoying of yourself in the future, right? I mean, isn't that just sort of intuitive? In fact, my test case would be, if you didn't hear this story in the Bible that we just heard, and you just heard about a guy who got a bumper crop, unexpected good harvest, right? His industry flourished, his sector. And he says to himself, wow, I got a lot. What should I do? Well, I can't store all this and grain's gonna go wasted if it's not stored. I'm gonna build a bigger barn to store up more of that grain so that I'll be able to enjoy myself for a lot of years ahead. If you just heard that story, who here wouldn't say, that's a smart guy, prudent, wise, he must have taken a David Ramsey class at some point? <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be too hard on David Ramsey, he has a lot of good things to say. <laughs> but, um, right, I mean, if we heard the story of this guy, we'd say, that's just a wise dude, that's what you do if you've got a bumper crop, right? I mean, I'm not trying to like set up a straw man, am I, am I right? Yeah. I think it would have been the same thing in Jesus' day. When his listeners heard this story, they're like, okay, okay, God's blessed this guy, great, great, and then Jesus just drops it. You fool. Whoa, <coughs> right? wait, wait, this guy was prudent, wise, saving ahead of time, and yet he says, you fool. This day your very soul will be asked of you. 
The, um, our general MO today is building bigger barns to store up more grain, to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus is actually quoting a sort of time-honored heathen proverb. It's around on old Greek grave inscriptions, eat, drink, and be merry. Right? I mean, it's practically what's written on a lot of the wall art that you can buy. Right? Eat, drink, and be merry. It's this thing. It's the very thing, actually, that the Lord sort of shocks us, really, with condemning in today's gospel. I'm taking this kind of roundabout way because I think intuitively we don't believe Jesus when he says this. It's so foreign, it's so different that we're just inclined to say, okay, Jesus, that's fine, and not actually listen. But he's saying that to have the build the bigger barn strategy is foolish. The, um, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Um, Ecclesiastes calls it vanity, right? That's the refrain of vanity. These things, vanity, vanity, chasing after the wind. To gain the world is to lose your soul. Which I think should really give us pause, right? Here we are as mostly all of us middle-class Americans. We are sort of thrown into a situation where the crop is abundant. We have a very verdant land. We have a good economy. Um, We're thrown into this situation that if we just sort of go the flow of the river, we're going to end up in the same spot as the man that God says, fool. Who wants God to call call them a fool? Not me. This isn't my assessment of this case. I think this is Jesus' assessment in Luke chapter 12. And just to be clear, I think this vanity, it takes two forms, and both sides sort of look down the nose at the other, and I actually think they're two sides of the same coin. So one of the temptations of riches is to sort of spend it now and enjoy things now, kind of living somewhat luxuriously. The other is to be really frugal now, kind of chasing the mirage of luxury in the future. Those are actually two sides of the same coin. Um, I'm not inherently impressed by someone who's a good saver if the motivation for saving is because someday I'm going to get my time on the beach. (laughs) Someday I'm going to get my luxury we are oriented in all these ways towards ease. And the biggest thing I think this cuts against is retirement culture. Um, Work hard to make your money so that you can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I want to say, ceasing from a nine to five when the body gets a little rusty, no problem, right? Workaholism and working till you drop is not the answer. Enjoying um, and building into your family with more time. No problem, right? These, I'm not trying to condemn retirement sort of whole hog. What I'm wanting to sort of point out is that when we fixate on retirement as a synonym for ease and then sort of orbit all our life towards it, that's when we, I think, fall under God's uh, warning in this parable. Even enjoying recreative hobbies in moderation is not a problem. The problem is conceiving of your life, if you are retired, or if you're hoping to be retired someday, in the terms of, I've paid my dues, now I'm just going to enjoy myself. That's the great temptation of this sort of retirement culture that we live in. I actually have some friends, well actually they're my brother's friends, Um, they are working themselves to the bone. They're doing like 90 hour weeks at this big like high tech company and they're making enormous amounts of money and their goal is to retire, and they're going to do it, they're on track to do it, at 36 and never have to work again after 36 because they've saved up so much money they can live off of the revenue from it. That's madness. It's just, like, 
It looks like they're hard workers, and, I, and the Bible would call that folly. A Christian, I think, should never seek to be a man or woman of leisure. Until our dying breath, we are called as Christians to exert our energies towards God. I'm, I'm using very specific language here because I preached a sermon just a few weeks ago about not just frenetically doing things for God. Because I'm not talking about activity. I'm not talking about signing up for more volunteer hours, which are great in moderation and for God's sake. Um, I'm talking about being rich in labors of prayer. Rich in deeds of mercy. The little deeds with those whom God's put us together with in our families and neighborhoods. And the larger deeds of charity and, and generosity. Rich in quiet time spent with God. Rich towards God. Those are things that until our dying breath, we can be exerting our energy to. And it doesn't change on this side of retirement or that side of retirement. That's the thing we should be spending ourselves on. And it's a labor. The rest, the Sabbath rest we're looking for, isn't on this side of death. It's on the other side of death. It's heaven. Again, this isn't, I'm not advocating spiritual workaholism. I'm just saying ease is not the, 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 the center of the bullseye. It's the occasional enjoyment as we strive to be rich towards God. So what I would like to invite you to try and think about for a moment is, let's say we've just fully heed this warning from the parable. How could you rewrite the parable in your life so that it wouldn't receive God's condemnation, but God's approval? Right? What, how, what story would Jesus tell where, if, if the opening line is, a man received a bumper harvest of crop and he fill in the blank. What fills in the blank that doesn't end up with saying, you fool, but ends up with saying, well done, good and faithful servant? Right? Because the, 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 the man just fell into his riches. What could he do with them to not be reprimanded by God in the parable? I want to offer the very familiar um, and simple paradigm of stewardship. That a steward is someone who's managing somebody else's goods. That's the Christian insight into daily life. We're just managing goods that we are, are not ours. They belong to God. And a steward would neither be wasteful in the present nor hoarding for himself for the future. He would just be managing faithfully in the present. There's a certain present-mindedness that I think should accompany Christian reflection on the use of our wealth and of our goods. Neither building bigger barns nor living in merrymaking. Those are the sort of two opposite ways to miss stewardship. So that's the big picture. I believe everything I've set up till now is God's word to all of us. Um, I want to be clear that now I want to try and get a bit more specific, and now here's where we can disagree. I want to invite you into application. And if after this sermon you think, you know, I really disagree with Father Ben on that one, I'd love to discuss this with fellow Christians and try and hone in on what it looks like. Well, lucky you, we're starting chapters in a few weeks' time where you'll be able to gather with a group of Christians and discuss the scriptures and the sermon and say, you know, I know that this is God's word. I don't know how to apply this to me. I mean, Father Ben's 33. What does he know? He doesn't have kids in college. He doesn't, you're right, I don't. So um, I wanted to speak to you out of what I can understand from this here now as my ideas separate. You know, Paul does this in his letters. He says, this is what God says. Here's how I would apply it. Now, it's complicated because he's St. Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that gets kind of complicated. I am not inspired like St. Paul. Um, but here's my ideas. 
I think if we're actually going to live into a stewardship paradigm with integrity, it means reducing our expenses and our savings. I'm going to unpack this so that we are not as financially secure as we'd like to be. If this sounds crazy, the Bible has craziness and sanity mixed up all over the place, right? This man who built bigger bonds was called a fool. But I think, let me ask you this, if God didn't exist, terrible thought, imagine if God didn't exist, would you still be financially fine? Would you still be secure in your economic outlook? If the answer is yes, I think you might, and I'm offering this for me as a maybe, you might actually be sort of keeping too much of what's more than a steward would keep. That part of stewardship is actually remaining in a, a, a degree of uncertainty about the future, to actually put yourself in the position where you need God continually. That when you pray, God, give us this daily bread, it's not just a ruse like, well, if God didn't answer it, I'd have my daily bread anyways. Right? It's saying, God, I, I need this from you. Now, those of you for whom God's entrusted a family, this is, you know, we hold this intention with scriptures like 1 Timothy that says, he who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So it's a careful work of holding all these scriptures together. Um, but I think in general, when we look at our expenses on food, clothes, vacations, entertainments, etc., or our savings for emergencies and retirement, I think we could tighten them and the money that's saved be used for deeds of mercy for the poor or for those who help the poor, um, and in tighten them, actually sort of put ourselves in a place where our sort of foreseeable future isn't as certain as we would like it to be. That it's not the, like my friends who are saving up hundreds and thousands of dollars by the year so that they can retire as soon as possible, but actually saying, yeah, you know, um, I do want to provide for my family, I want to be wise, but I want to self-deny myself into a place where I remain dependent on God where I still need him to answer my prayer for daily bread to keep going. To reduce until we are not as secure as we'd like to be. This balance is actually given to us in the Bible. Did you know that? Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. You can look it up in the Pew Bible if you like. It says this. I'm quoting word for word. God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of our God see that balance and in different life circumstances in different countries in different eras the dollar amounts look different but to not just be shooting for fullness right to not be shooting for ease but kind of trying to actually shoot for the middle so I'm going to give away stuff now that it might be sort of more prudent to just save but I'm going to give it away. I'm not going to build a bigger barn for myself. So again, this, this, that's sort of my suggestion. I think that's still, mostly you could take that to the bank. I'm going to go one more layer specific just to tell you my story. Because you know i got two kids. You, you know my salary because you pay it. And I'm very grateful for it. Um, one of the things that no matter how much money I had, and thankfully this is not a great risk of coming into a windfall, um, but no matter how much money I had, to not save up an emergency fund that could cover more than about 30 to 45 days. That's less than Dave Ramsey will tell you. He'll say, you know, you've got to have like three to six months in the bank, right? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you could do that. But then, you're kind of, I think, 
to build in a little bit of insecurity. Say, Lord, I, I would need to look to you. If you all got together with the bishop and you'd need the bishop to do it and the vestry and you said, we're done with Father Ben Fireman, I'm, I'm out on my luck. Okay, Lord, provide something different. Food's gonna run out in 30 days. Just do it, you know? Um, but to actually place myself in that place. And even if I got some million dollar inheritance, which I don't think I'm ever gonna get, but should it come, to not just hoard it up and say, I'm just gonna make this huge nest egg of retirement right now. But to actually get rid of most of it and say, Lord, I'm gonna keep putting retirement away incredibly slowly and not as the financial advisors will say, what's the life you want and here's what you, how you get there. But to ask, well, what's the life, what do I need just to get by? To provide for my wife if God forbid she's a widow, you know, to just, just to get by. And how much, if I can, you know, healthy body, what's the least I can put away now to get there? Right? See, it's just a different framing of the question. It's still being prudent. It's still caring for your family. It's still buying clothes when they become worn out. But it's not putting ease and luxury as the bullseye, but stewardship as the bullseye. <coughs> because if we um, don't get this the right, the right way around, if we sort of one way or another put relaxing and merrymaking and ultimately ease at the center, we run the risk of God's condemnation. That's, what, that's the Bible, Luke 12, right? The, th the very thing we would praise, God says, you fool. And I think that's a warning as Americans, 21st century middle-class Americans, we can really uh, need to take that to heart. That we would actually have space in our lives and in our budgets to be rich toward God. That's the phrase I think to meditate on this week. Rich toward God. In each of your circumstances, different as they are, what would it look like to be richer toward God? Amen.